1: Hello, and welcome back to the quadcast. I'm Dana Humphrey, Associate Director of the Mary Christie Institute. Today, I'll be speaking with Paula Swinford, Director of the Office for Health Promotion Strategy at the University of Southern California. Her office is central to the work of the USC Student Wellbeing Collective. She is also on the clinical faculty in the Keck School of Medicine at USC. Paula, it's so great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dana. It's my pleasure. So I'd like to start with your role as the Director for Health Promotion Strategy at USC. What kinds of issues do you work on and how do you address them?
0: Oh boy, that's a dive right in here. Well, first let (laughs) me say that the work that we do is part of a collective impact framework. And it's important for me to kind of do a disclaimer for those people out there that are really familiar with collective impact. Collective impact is about centering equity when units that are siloed start trying to work together on someone or some issue's behalf and I will leave you to go to fsg.com or tamarack.com to learn more about collective impact. The disclaimer is, is that this happens and has been happening in collaborations around the globe with individuals or, or participating units that are in fact siloed and are in more real silos than us, um, than we are here in higher education. We have self imposed silos in higher education. So I think that's important to put that in perspective. But as director of health promotion strategy, my office serves as the backbone for a collective impact initiative. The issues that we work on, I think, are really important because they were generated with the students. At and with all the participating partners. So this is not one person or one leader's agenda. The work that I'm doing feels to me a little countercultural. So it is important to acknowledge that a collective is, is in fact that. It's a group of individuals trying to center equity and work towards a common agenda. We work on creating an environment where students can be the very best scholars that they can be. And in conversations with, well, actually almost 50 focus groups and many, many listening circles and spot surveys, we began to hone those issues and they weren't what we thought they would be to begin with. So that took about 18 months even to to clarify or focus the collective's agenda. The issues are very central to our common agenda, which is creating a culture strengthened by student well-being. And the issues came to light or, or organically unfolded in these focus groups. So let me give you an example. We started with the idea that the people who were talking about it thought, you know, don't we want to diminish the stigma? around mental health. You know, that was a lovely thought. But as we talked to the students, and as we talked to our partners across campus, it became clear that that wasn't grand enough or big enough, that really, we don't want to just diminish the stigma, we actually want to create a community where individuals thrive. And that was surprising, you know, it was like, oh, it's about more than that. Another example was talking about sexual assault and, you know, preventing sexual assault. And through the process of honing or like, discovering, uncovering the issues. It was not about diminishing sexual assault. It's about actually increasing consent and what that means and how we hold consent in our culture. What is a healthy relationship? How do we support healthy relationships? So that's a touch of the issues. And all of that is really around thriving and inclusion and how those things get twisted together. So does that give you a little bit of background? I don't know if I answered everything you were asking.
1: No, that's great. And what I love about the way that you have approached this is obviously listening and taking in that feedback and and changing as needed. But also, it seems like it's this shift from addressing the stigma, which has been a goal of folks on campus addressing these issues for years and years, but and then moving beyond that to really cultivating this culture of well-being and care and promoting thriving on campus, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's, it feels as if everybody wants to do something, right? I mean, we all want to make things better. And people jump in very, very quickly into products and services. It's like, let's do this and let's do that. And I have to say that I am a strong believer in the power of process, Rather than, you know, one person coming up with a great idea and implementing it because they've got access to all the resources and they're politically the celebrity, the current celebrity, we like to say, you know, that that in fact collective impact is about process and honoring all the different voices and working with each other rather than doing things to somebody or doing things for somebody. And I think many times, and I've been in, <laughs> been on a college campus many decades, institutions get really caught up in doing things to students or doing things for students and are very, very shy about doing something with and, and engaging in a process that will create its own result and may not be exactly what everybody thought was the right idea. So I find that quite delightful.
1: Yeah, it, it really reminds me of this concept of, I think it's called design led thinking or or something along those lines which I became obsessed with a few years ago where you're just taking all these inputs and you have this idea but then you listen to the people that you're trying to help and they let you know that all your ideas are wrong or or some of them are wrong or whatever it yeah. is.
0: Yeah, design thinking came out of Stanford and that's a, a very generative process. You know, it's quite a lot of fun and you come up with things that you never even thought you would you would come up with. And, and that was part of, that was part of our process. The original founders of the collective, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but were really student affairs and student health, which are separate entities. They're not folded together here at USC. And then also our Title IX office at the time, which is now EEO ticks. But those were the three founders. And we did a lot of that, just letting ourselves imagine something different.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about that. Can you explain how the collective was developed, started at USC?
0: Sure. Everybody wants to collaborate, right? It's all this. And I hear it all the time. It's like, if we'll just collaborate. And I reserve the right to be a little bit cynical. And I've been around the collaboration wheel many, many times. And mostly what that looks like is, you know, it can often look like let's get together and plan a party or an event. Let's share some piece of information that is useful to both of us or I really like you, so I'm going to play nice with you until you leave, or till I don't like you anymore. So collaboration never really sustains itself in an institution, you know, or in our culture widely. And we had a vice president of student affairs who had a background in, had an MBA, and unlike many student affairs, lead student affairs officers, and really just kept Saying, why are we not collaborating? And really was pushing about how to build an infrastructure for collaboration. Like, how do you reward collaboration? Like, coming at it with a business mind. Anyhow, long story short, he also was very, very interested in the public health issues that were getting in the way of student success. And he's now at the University of British Columbia, but in Vancouver. But I can remember him saying, you know, we can focus on the traditional things student affairs focuses on, which is tends to be crisis management and, you know, leadership skills through student activities, or we can get at what's getting in the way of students succeeding. And he would talk about you know, mental health and inclusion, and alcohol and sexual assault. So yeah, that was a big impetus of it. And then I think you add in um, Dr. Sarah Van Orman, who many of us know from college health as uh, as in her voice during these last couple of years around COVID. But Sarah, in the room, I remember Sarah looked at me and she goes, "Paula, you've read that article by Kana and Kramer. It's in Stanford Innovation about collective impact framework." And in fact, I had, and you know, because I'm one of those people who just reads a lot and it hadn't occurred to me. And she goes, I think that's what, I think that's what we're talking about here. So, you know, as things happen, it was like, okay, let's create a structure where collaboration is supported in a very specific way, because the issues that we're talking about will never be solved by a fancy new building or a bunch of staff or, you know, or one unit they are by definition, very complex. And they are by definition, not solvable in the traditional way you might think of, you know, it's they're not, it's not a simple problem. So that's how it kind of got started. I mean, out of a desire of a a vice president of student affairs, and out of the collaboration of a executive director of student health, and then the title IX offices was bringing in a lot of the compliance. These are ingredients that are common on many college campuses. They just aren't structured in this way.
1: Right. We've been talking a lot about collaboration, and I think we're talking about it vaguely. And I'm curious about what does that look like in practice? Are you meeting a bunch, coming up with ideas together? Are there set ideas when you start out that you are working on together
0: so there's five conditions for collective impact and you can look those up but it's about a common agenda and then aligning activities using shared data and a lot of communication and then the fifth piece is having this backbone organization that kind of in very much in the background keeps everything humming along so the collaboration will look like looking at one of the goals and saying what are the key performance indicators that we're going to track in order to see whether or not we're making progress. So you've got to then, as a group, over the period of a couple of months, meet enough and talk about different KPIs and the ones you wish you had and the data you do have and creating KPIs. So that's collaborative. And and very, very much everybody has a voice. Students very much have a voice in all of this. So the other piece that would look like is, so then you begin to look at what I'll say are, Things that will be familiar to people that are more, what do we want to call them? They are templates, if I, if I can. And I, I know with don't, no disrespect, but I think of things like the Jed Foundation as a template. I think about Healthy Campus as a template. So there are these templates that say, these are the things that need to be in place in order to make success. And, you know, sometimes those templates are processy. You need to talk to each other. Yeah, okay. But also then they're also about evidence-informed practices. So looking at the effect of the density of alcohol outlets around a college campus that has tailgating, and there are these evidence-informed practices, we started creating these tracking sheets And they say, these are the things that need to happen. These are policies that have some evidence around them. Are we doing these policies? So the group gets together and begins to do an assessment where we give scores. We give yellow, green, and red. Yeah, we've got this one done. Maybe we've talked about this one or no, we haven't even looked at this one. And then the group decides two things. One, is there anything within their organization that they can do to align? So do they have the power to unilaterally change something within their own unit? Or is there something that they cannot do, but that three or four units, if joining together, can do, can create? So the example, uh, two examples of that would be, an example would be joining together, would be looking at game day and alcohol on game day in the middle of campus, right? Because housing can't change that, and events policy can't change that, and athletics can't change that. But if they decide to change it together, you know, then it might get changed. As opposed to a unilateral decision was when you make students move out of housing. And we were making students move out of housing. We were, I think, at five o'clock, when they could have possibly just finished a final at four thirty at the end of a semester, and it's kind of like that's really ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you have a large international population, which we have. And so, how do you manage? Really, is that necessary? You know. So, so you ask about collaboration. It, it's kind of like it creates this communal will to both realign within your unit and then to think about what one unit can't do and how to elevate a solution beyond, you know, well, that you know that's above my pay grade. The thing it is not is getting together and putting on a bunch of, uh, of everybody's good idea. And how many times have we been in meetings where it's like, you know, it's like, let's brainstorm good ideas. There's evidence out there about what creates a health-promoting campus. And, you know, it does not take people to sit around and say, you know, let's have let's have a crashed car on campus or we need this or we need that it doesn't mean you don't listen to those things but it's that's not how you do collaboration,
1: really. And that's so interesting. And I, I really could talk about this for the rest of the day. But there is an upcoming webinar on the collective impact framework with NASPA, which shows an interest in these types of strategies, I guess you might call them. Have you seen that? Is there an increase, growing interest motivation around it?
0: What I think people are interested in, and I applaud them, is that boy, this is going to sound really obvious when I say it, but that, you know, things don't get done unless there's infrastructure built. And we have, although we've tested it these last two years, we have a massive, massive infrastructure for the provision of the process of healthcare. And I mean healthcare as both physical healthcare and mental healthcare. We have a massive, massive infrastructure for that. You know, we have people who keep track of records, we have providers, we have accrediting associations, we have buildings, we have foundations for healthcare. And in this country, we do not have the same kind of infrastructure for health promotion. And health promotion is a very different beast than healthcare and needs a very different infrastructure. And so I think the interest in collective impact framework is that it is a framework that can guide infrastructure for the process of health promotion. And so people are like, huh. So it's it's different than direct service. Health promotion is not direct service delivery. It's it's systems work. It's, it's very much systems work. I like to think of it as the forest for the trees. You need people who are arborists and going to attend to individual trees. And I think about that when I think about my, many of my colleagues in counseling and mental health. You know, they are very, very fine practitioners of attending to an individual, but that that's not the forest. Um, you know, the forest is is so much more than the trees and so much more interconnected. and And so health promotion is really forest work, not tree work. It also goes back, you know, we were talking, Marjorie and I, about my career path, and at one point in time, I was an undergrad bio major and and had was a resident advisor living in the residence halls on a non-visitation floor, which dates me. But I was fascinated by how the students on my floor and things were, people were interacting together and how non-visitation affected the culture and all this kind of stuff and just kind of observing everything and had money coming in and knew that I couldn't go to grad school unless I had an assistantship. And my choice, honest to goodness, was between forestry and public health, (laughs) And it was because they were they were both complex systems. They are both complex systems. So there we go.
1: <laughs> That's very interesting. So given your work that you do in public health on USC's campus, promoting health and well-being for students, I can assume that you believe that environments like college campuses can be health promoting. And I know your work is centered in equity. So I'm also assuming that you believe it can be for all students, but we aren't there yet, right? What are the most important elements that we need to focus on to get to that point? In your view, what needs to change to get to that point?
0: The decolonization of higher education in the United States? That's an interesting, that's a webinar in and of itself. Let me go back and and talk a little bit about the beauty of a residential college campus. It is a constructed community. It's a constructed community. And it has all the aspects of a small city. But it has this wonderful piece to it that it's about exploration. It's about curiosity. It's about human capacity. It's about finding out that you don't know more than what you do know. And I do think that residential institutions, which will remain, will need to really look at not just well-being for students, but well-being for faculty and staff and the community that surrounds it in a way that will cause us to move beyond service delivery. Service delivery such as getting something fixed, even education as a service delivery. Many of my colleagues who call themselves health promotion departments are really only doing one of the five Ottawa charter actions, and that's health education. Or maybe they're doing prevention education, which is even more specific than health education. And it will require us to think about ourselves as being in community for our whole lives, so colleges will not be a place where you go and get a degree, live, leave and live your life. It will become part of who you are and the place will become important, as important as the degree. And so, so what that means is really intentionally thinking about the sustainability of the place. Is the place planted with native plants? Are there things that will outlive you beyond the bricks of the building? How do you accommodate? I mean, in any academic community, you have to be able to accommodate difference of opinion and ideas and honor different lived experiences. So in many ways, I think when I think about the Okanagan Charter and becoming a health promoting university, for me, it's a call for institutions to become what they can be. It's a call back to a higher mission and a higher value for an institution, and I do think we can do it. But I think we have to get out of the service delivery modality and start really thinking about being in process with our students and being open to solutions that you know will feel different. But if COVID taught us anything, boy, when a university wants to do something different, it certainly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that 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 idea that. You know students would say, "You know why is it that you have used up every inch of my time to the degree that I can't go walk in the rose garden? you know why why is that? And to whose benefit? how important is it that I weed the garden and you know what idea might come to me while I'm tending um, to something other than books? I don't know. it makes me very hopeful. I yes, I think we can, but we're not going to service we're not going to service delivery our way out of any of these issues. It's mm-hmm. not about. It's not about more services or more programs or more products. None of those things are going to answer this. It's it's about reconnecting, reconnecting to the place and reconnecting to each other.
1: Well, I think that is a perfect note to end on. I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. It really has expanded and renewed my view of health promotion and it's been very illuminating. So thank you so much for, for your time today.
0: You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.